You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app. Shall we begin? The show has just started. It feels like <laughs> feels like we've hit a high, and we're not going to come back from that. Anyway, it's seven thirty-eight. You are listening to Popcorn Culture with Lynn Shamila and Dash, and um, I mean, with an introduction like that, what else could we be talking about? Uh, we are today dedicating our supercut to fantasy because basically that's kind of been the theme of this entire week. We've reviewed 3,000 Years of Longing. Uh, we also talked about Rings of Power. So yeah, here we are. You said it feels like we hit a high and don't know how to recover. I feel like literally the Lord of the Rings phase was a high for the fantasy genre, right. a high for filmmaking. Um, and I almost feel like we haven't quite recovered, right? Because now forevermore... Um, fantasy on screen is probably going to be defined either by Lord of the Rings or the TV version, which is Game of Thrones. Um, and I think there's something quite amazing also because until Lord of the Rings came along, fantasy as a genre wasn't viewed seriously and it was viewed as the kind of thing that, um, you know, people fanned out over. But or it not, was for kids. Or right. it was for kids. And there was this sort of weird um, lack of, I don't know, lack of credibility, I want to say. Um Every time I hear the music, though, just chills, lah. Same, same. It's like some of my favorite uh, series of films ever. Like I still do. Like every year, once a year, I go on a twelve-hour Lord of the Rings uh, extended edition uh, marathon. A journey. Yes, it's a journey, and it's it's fantastic. It's and I I agree with uh, Sharmila that you know it it has become Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones like the gold standard of fantasy. Um, everything, it, because it's pretty much, at least to me, like some flawless, really, pieces of filmmaking. And yeah, it is my favourite genre. Like, and, and Lord of the Rings really is the, the benchmark for it. The, the, the awe, the wonder, the discovery, and, and the music that we just heard, right? Like, it gave all of us chills, goosebumps all the way. And yeah, it's just fantastic. I was telling Sharmila, I wanted to rewatch, but mm -hmm. I started annoying myself because I was watching it and like saying seconds before the character said, a wizard is never late and you can't watch a movie like that. <laughs> like not even alone, you can't watch a movie like that, which just speaks to how many times mm -hmm. I've seen it, I guess. Um, but I... Let's talk a bit about why Lord of the Rings is considered the high watermark. I think it has to do with a few things. Um, I think it's got to do with the sheer nerdery of Peter Jackson, who had a who had a vision, had the money, had the country, and then had the company to go and make all <laughs> those different things, right? Because Weta is is a huge part of why Lord of the Rings looks the way it does. Um, so firstly, there's that. But I think it also comes from along with being the movie trilogy being the granddaddy of like some like this new generation of fantasy the book to begin with mm. was also such a rich text from which to draw and i think it's that combination and then the perfect casting and all the rest of it that's resulted in it having being still held as the high watermark i think the thing about lord of the rings is also that um the commitment it takes the commitment to build an audience and it's also that this is pure fantasy, right? It is the thing that on the page fantasy, the fantasy genre was known for. Uh, creatures, magic, a whole imagined uh, other world with the sort of details like each person speaking a different language, uh, the costuming indicating where they might come from, the kind of food they eat being dependent on what grows in that area. And I think all of this um, 
what makes the movie so emblematic is that it takes that seriously. And I like that about the Lord of the Rings trilogy. It doesn't pander. Neither does it end up being so inaccessible that if you never read the books and you don't know the mythology, mm-hmm. you can't watch it. And that's a kind of sweet spot, which even I would say Game of Thrones struggled with sometimes because especially with the later seasons, um, it ended up sometimes literally losing the plot. Uh, but I feel like even today when I look back and I revisit Lord of the Rings, I feel like when we say it might be the perfect fantasy trilogy, I don't think that's overstating it. No, not at all. I, I agree. I think it is the perfect uh, fantasy trilogy as well. And I, I think, I mean, on, on the one hand, of course, you have the scale of it, right? Like at that point, we, at least I, you know, we've not seen a film of that magnitude. Um, you know, when we talk about Battle of Helm's Deep, the Battle at Minas Tirith, and these are all like, it's so, it doesn't come off as cheap looking. It could have very easily come off as that. But there was so much love put into it, like practical effects, stunt work, everything. It, it, it's so, it looks so grand, so beautiful. And I think you bring up an interesting point, Sharmila, about how it takes itself seriously. Because I think a lot of fantasy films, action films these days, um, even comic book movies and, and all of that, they have this thing that they want to wink and, and you mm. know, nudge the audience and like, haha, we all know it's a movie, let's have fun. And, and that's cool as well. Um, there are certain movies that do that well. But there's something so earnest when you, when you take, take this genre and you do it so earnestly, whether it's a Lord of the Rings, even a Game of Thrones and all of that, right? That it really, like, I love being drawn into the world and, and, and the world that the emotions are so real, the stakes are so real. So it's that same earnestness that sometimes makes the genre easy to laugh fat, right? Yes. And that's why I think filmmakers start to hedge their bets with a, yeah, yeah, no, no, let, let's put a frame on it. Let's say mm-hmm. it's happening in a book. Let's say it's happening, right. you know, this is actually a secret thing that's happening elsewhere. Um, and that earnestness, I think, also means that sometimes it's hard for people to get into because the truth is, in order to really enjoy fantasy... I think you have to give of yourself a little bit um, in the same way that to truly enjoy romance films, um, you have to suspend disbelief and you have to get emotionally invested. I think that's the only real way to to truly dive into fantasy films and shows. Can I just say you need to be okay with being a kid? And, to a degree, and, yes. And to say that I'm willing to believe in imaginary worlds for a couple of hours. And then have Benioff and Weiss come in and stab you in the neck. (laughs) Benioff and Weiss will probably come up in some unflattering ways during the show. But I I think it's that, right? And I think that's why a lot of adults are almost hesitant or dismissive of the fantasy genre because they feel like, "Ah, I don't want to like watch this make-believe thing. Whereas sci-fi at least has the, the thin veneer that, you know, given enough scientific advancement, we may get there. Um, which I think is unfortunate because fantasy as a frame can be used to reflect on so many things, Absolutely. emotional, political, mm-hmm. which Lord of the Rings also does. Yes, and in fact, fantasy, a lot of people like people who perhaps, um, they, like you said, hesitant to get into it. Um, it could even be uh, films like Star Wars and all of that. Right? They, they have this, perhaps this perception, um, you know, it's just pew, 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 or it's just, you know, f- things flying around and dragons, who cares? Um, it's not real. But I think, for, at least for me, my first introduction or, or you know, or, or like say shift in perception, when it, or first understanding towards politics, um, political issues, when there's gender rights, racism, all of that, came through fantasy films came through fantasy books um, that I read, like whether it's Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings. Because I think fantasy, when it's done well, that's what it's at its core, right? It's this larger than life. Everything is so make-believe and not like our world. But yet it has characters in it, moments, storylines that make you, uh, allow you the space to reflect on our world, on our realities and learn from that. So we've been asking you what your favourite fantasy films and shows are. Uh, You can send them our way. Just because we've been talking about Lord of the Rings so much, um, I wanted to bring up Hazel, who says, Lord of the Rings, although Amazon's Rings of Power is a plot nightmare. Ooh. Ooh. Well, so far, we're only two episodes in. I am I said this in our review. I'm cautiously excited. I'm not Lynn, cautious. Lynn is just throwing caution to the wind. I'm all in. I'm not sure why. I think I was just really, really happy to be back in the world. I'd be curious if Hazel wanted to let us know what the plot nightmare was or whether others feel this way. I feel like the fact that it's not tied to a book helps because I don't know what to expect. It's kind of exciting. Yeah, me too. Like, I've, on, I've watched the first two episodes um, because those are the ones that are out and I, I'm a big Tolkien fan as well. I read the Lord of the Rings books. I love the films, but I don't seem to 
you know have that kind of vitriol towards the first two episodes at least i mean it could all go down the drain from here and and let's hope it doesn't but at least for what i'm seeing right now i don't seem to have like the same problems that a lot of yeah. people yeah it's it it perhaps there are certain liberties that have been taken or i mean not liberties diversions from the book but i'm okay with that i'm okay because it is like you said it's not based on like a very like established source material or anything they are like it's a lot of things is like made up and appendices and, basically yeah exactly so in in that sense like as long as within this realm they tell the they write the characters well and the characters go on interesting journeys then i'm all in as well so rowan also says lord of the rings and then brings up the witcher which uh, is on <laughs> a lot of people's lists and the magicians but then also adds on game of thrones which is what we're closing out on this side of things keep those thoughts coming we want to hear from you we're talking about fantasy tonight. We want to know what are your favourite fantasy films or shows. There are so many. Um, you can WhatsApp us 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. Freddie Morrissey, BFM 89.9. This city was founded to be a bastion of enlightenment. We are the city of progress, and our future is bright. We were once one tribe. Now, we are houses divided. As time passes... The topsiders are leaving us further and further behind. There's never enough to go round. They can either break you or forge you into something greater. Hi. I have to try and find my sister. Powder? BFM 89.9, it is 7.50 and you're listening to Popcorn Culture with Lynn, Sharmila and Dash. And today, our supercut is focused on fantasy. In other words, the the true nerds in some ways, <laughs> you know, um, the, the true nerdery of film. And we've been asking you, basically, do you have a favourite fantasy film or show that you want to highlight, that you want to share? You can WhatsApp us 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio. Now, I'm going to be honest, um, Sharmilai and I had a bit of a private debate about Arcane, um, mostly because it is it is magic, obviously. Um, it has a lot of hallmarks of fantasy, including the trauma. Um, but the theme slash cyberpunk trappings means that it could also be almost mistaken as sci-fi. Yes. Right. Um, and actually, genre under fantasy is something I'm quite nerdy about. I love discussing them, even mm -hmm. though I don't take them so seriously that I'm like, no, that cannot be part of this conversation. Uh, but Arcane, I found very interesting. Firstly, Dash recommended it to me first, and then Arvin, and that's how I ended up watching it. I love the show. But it's very, basically, the aesthetic is steampunk. Kan? Yes. And whether that belongs under fantasy is an interesting one to have. And for me, what tipped it is the magic. Lah. Because for me, fantasy essentially has to have things that you cannot explain by science. My argument is also that steampunk is an aesthetic, not a genre. Which is fair. Mm, yes. And... And that's the thing, right? Because if you want to... And I also love discussing this because, you see, even if we go with that, right, and say that the magic was the tipping point, but even arcane, even magic is explained as science. That's the which is a yeah. So that's the, thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, and that's the tricky part, right? Because what exactly is fantasy? Because if it's just... Um, you know, this sort of make-believe and there's magic, then why don't we consider, let's say, comic book movies as fantasy? Like We, we do, offer, though, right? Do we? Like, I mean, generally, when we think of fantasy, we don't think of the Dark Knight. No. <laughs> ah, but Batman is different. Batman doesn't involve... At magic. Least, at least the Chris Nolan Batman... Mm -hmm. 
isn't at all to do with like he's basically got gadgets. Yes. But like a Superman. Would you? Would you? Because I would. But then when I thought of the list, when we were all like recommending films to each other, what should we like highlight and all? Like I didn't put comic book films on the list. Okay, so for me, I think world building is very important. Mm-hmm. Mm. So um, even if there is a world that is similar to ours, there has to be a different internal logic for this for a fantasy story to work. Yeah, so that that's what I'm going with. That even if it is our quote-unquote world, there has to be some subtle difference that means that the fantastical tale fits within it in a way that makes more sense rather than it's just an intrusion into like 2022. And so for that reason, um, Avengers, no. Um, Dark Knight, no. I don't even think Superman is because th- those are all intrusions into um, normies just toddling about you know, <laughs> like, and then needing to be saved. And and that to me is is different from pure fantasy, which must involve world building. Oh, I think I think of it quite differently. For me, fantasy is like this giant umbrella under which anything that you cannot neatly explain by like real stuff, mm. expert term there, um, would fall under fantasy. So for me, like a Superman or a Sabrina the Teenage Witch, both are fantasy stories because they involve things that you cannot really explain away. So... What about RRR? I knew it. I knew you were I mean, going the perfect to... opportunity to break it up. Um, and, I, and I wasn't on the show where y'all talked about it. So, but, okay, let's say a film like RRR, right? <laughs> is, is that not fantasy then? Okay, because I, I consider very it fantasy. firmly fell on the fa- side of it not, only because nothing happens in it that... So they do, like, the thing that action films in the West do, which right. is, like, The Expendables, where people do things that are kind of human but heightened mm. so that's why I don't think it's fantasy but I did start all of this by saying I'm not going to be pathetic yes. <laughs> so you can consider it fantasy if you want it completely fits my idea of what fantasy is internal logic, <sighs> world building, yeah, that, you know it's, yes. it's all there, they the historical figures, there's no proof they met the fact, even the genesis of the story is fantasy I will agree to disagree. Yeah, because for me, like, R- like things like like a film like RRR, right? There's also like the mythology element, like like they are get they are ultimately superheroes. In essence. I made that argument with her; it didn't yeah. fly. But it's just that in let's say in English movies, if like comic book characters, they explain how they get their powers and they say like these are gods. Here, they just don't mention it, but essentially they are. <laughs> they are freedom fighters with families who can and fight a, village. a thousand people and a tiger. <laughs> like RRR to be part of every film conversation, to be frank. I, I love the movie that much and I'm happy it's come up. See, I love the movie so much that I'm happy to just talk about it. Yes. Fine, I will give it I will give it this. I'm sorry I stopped you, Dash, from a clip being played. While we are debating things, uh, Jacinta says, hands down, Bridgerton, especially season two, epic. See the door you've opened? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, okay, to me, I don't know about Bridgerton being fantasy, yeah. although it is it is that kind of... See, it depends on your definition of fantasy. Fantasy, yeah. yeah because mm-hmm. it is a particular kind of fantasy, that sort of rarefied, romantic fantasy style one. Yeah, it, it is very tricky, right? This this whole conversation is never ending because even when like we talk about superheroes, right, there are some which, you know, you can say like if within the same universe of, let's say, DC, like you can say like Batman is not, but then Superman is kinder. And then if you look at Marvel, maybe Thor is kinder, but then Iron Man is not. Yeah, because Superman, you could explain it away by saying he's an alien. And yeah. therefore, yeah. in his planet, it's, yeah, and then it's sci-fi. Yeah. yeah, and then like things like Star Wars, right? There are a lot of like, let's say, listicles, uh, you know, when they often put Star Wars under science fiction. But for me, I've always felt Star Wars is fantasy because yes, there are sciencey elements, but you've also got like samurai monks who can like, you and know, the make, force. and the force, mm. exactly. They can make things levitate and, and all of these things. And there's world building. So speaking of, um, Fateha <laughs> says, The Good Place, which I think is also debatable. The Good Place um, actually interestingly did come up on a number of, because I was looking up best TV shows, Mm -hmm. fantasy. It did come up. And again, yeah, debatable, right? I'm quite happy to just walk on the side of all kinds of things can exist under this ambit of fantasy. So I'll take it. Yeah, me too. Because I think it's too 
difficult to define anyway and everybody has a different definition of it so i'm i like to enter like have the discussion i think that's more exciting <laughs> i think it's a fantasy world in which philosophy is discussed right yeah. like like mm. that's really what it yes. is where it's it's at its heart a philosophical show but fantasy is being used as a way to explore the themes right because the world yes. is, is quite fantastical yeah and i mean it's demons it, it, it and world building is yeah. actually even though it's funny um, it is actually something that exists in that show. So, all of which to say, uh, we want to hear from you. What are your favourite fantasy shows and films? Um, if you want to weigh in in terms of how you define fantasy as well, because that's a whole other thing that we've fallen <laughs> down, um, you can WhatsApp us, 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio. So, we've been talking about fantasy and kind of really sitting very firmly in the grey area between how it can be both light and, and dark. And one of the great fantasy directors, I think, one of the great dark fantasy directors of our time is Guillermo del Toro. Uh, we were talking about which one to do, and we would have done Pan's Labyrinth, but for the Spanish. <laughs> so, and for the screaming. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, it's hard, like, like, it's hard to encapsulate the Doug Jonesiness, I think, of all the, the stuff on screen. But um, instead, we are going to be playing a little bit of a monster fairy tale fantasy. Uh, in the meantime, again, keep those thoughts coming. What are your favourite fantasy films and shows? 018-789-8899 to WhatsApp. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Here is The Shape of Water. If I told you about her, the princess without voice... What would I say? Eliza, come on. Eliza, hurry, hurry. She deaf? Mute, sir. She can hear you. You clean that lab, you get out. This may very well be the most sensitive asset ever to be housed in this facility. You may think that thing looks human. Stands on two legs, right? But we're created in the Lord's image. You don't think that's what the Lord looks like, do you? looks at me, he doesn't know how I am incomplete. He sees me as I am. Break from monotony. BFM 89.9 You're no match for me, Sarah. But I have to have my brother back. He's there, in my castle. Do you still want to look for him? Is that the castle beyond the Goblin City? Turn back, Sarah. Turn back before it's too late. I can't. Don't you understand that I can't? What a pity. It doesn't look that far. It's further than you think. Time is short. You have 13 hours in which to solve the labyrinth before your baby brother becomes one of us forever. Such a pity. BFM 89.9, it is 8.08 and you're listening to Popcorn Culture with Lynn Sharmila and Dash. And today we are covering fantasy and we've kind of gone from adult fantasy, animated fantasy, uh, debating what even constitutes fantasy. And now we have to talk about the 80s child fantasy stuff because there is a whole category of fantastical films that were made in or around the 80s, which occupy a very special place for a lot of people. As someone who grew up 
late 80s, early 90s, these kinds of movies, your never-ending stories, your labyrinth, really shaped my idea of fantasy. I mean, that and, and Disney cartoons, right? Because they all live in this space of telling these fantastical stories in worlds and lands that don't exist, uh, but also in this kind of accessible way. Uh, there's always this wish fulfillment aspect. There's always a heroic kid in the centre. Um, I think they're hugely formative for so many kids of a particular generation. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, but the thing is, right, so when it comes to like Labyrinth and a lot of films like that, um, the 80s fantasies that y'all are talking about, I wasn't, I didn't watch it like as a kid because I wasn't born then. <laughs> All right, Dash. <laughs> but but I, it, it is, it's done, there's a specific style to it, right? A lot of these films. And I did watch like Labyrinth like years later and it's it's a very interesting um the 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 the, lev- the type of the tonality um like you said it's aimed like everyone can enjoy but it's sort of like children's films in a way um but it's more like it, even if you're an adult you will enjoy it but yeah there's a specific style to it there's the specific um sort of i i don't even know how to capture it but it really encapsulates the 80s era which i don't think they make fantasy films like that anymore I was going to say just practical effects alone oh, is yes. something that this genre and and not just uniformly great looking practical mm-hmm. effects. On the one hand, you have some stuff that looks great and then there's other stuff that's just straight up janky and everyone's just kind of okay with. When I look back, I really love it. I love Labyrinth. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I, you're going to bash Never Ending Story. Okay, no, before that, I was going to say Bintib on Instagram did say the Never Ending Story. So with all due respect to all the Atreyu people, <laughs> I get it. It's I not understand. Atreyu, it's Falcor that I love. I, I, horrible. A dragon that's also like a dog. A pillow. And a pillow. <laughs> Basically a things. pillow. <laughs> no, okay, look, I, I think that um, to your point, Dash, about like needing to watch things at a certain point. To me, Never Ending Story falls into that category. Um, I I think, I don't think it's the effects necessarily. It is that in 80s-ness in essence, um, there's something about the cheesiness of the storytelling, which is great. I, I can objectively see from a distance why someone would enjoy it. Personally, I was like, stop screaming. (laughs) Just (laughs) save your world or don't. I am not invested in this. But actually, while we're talking about the 80s and fantasy, right, there's this whole genre of, um, so things like Conan the Barbarian. Mm -hmm. I think the 80s was um, one of those times where a lot of things were experimental on screen. People were willing to put stuff in cinema and on TV that honestly wouldn't get made today. And I think that resulted in some really cheesy stuff, but some really great stuff that we still value today. I mean, Ghostbusters is technically also fantasy. Um, And these are all the things that we're seeing remakes of today, uh, reimagines, and I think probably shaped a whole generation of filmmakers who now come around and make stuff like Stranger Things. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think like the the challenge, I agree with Lynn, is that the challenge, like if you want to get, let's say... like someone like me, I've never watched this growing up and then now I have to re-watch it. It is a bit of a challenge because it's not like watching a serious drama. Um, in that one, like if it's a serious drama done well, then it just, you know, it's like timeless in that sense. You know, you can watch a black and white movie and it doesn't feel dated. But there is a certain aspect to like a film, like fantasy films, like even like Labyrinth, Lever Ending Story and all of that, that it. I feel like it's it's best if you watched it at that age or, or at the right age. But even if you don't, I think you should give it a shot. But I, I also want to um, uh, echo what you said about practical effects because I think these days, um, yes, like the ones that, you know, there's nothing wrong in doing CG, but I think a lot of times people use CG, um, they use it to such a degree where they're just trying to get the easy way out of things. They just want the, the cheapest, fastest way to, to, to get it out of the way. If you compare like Lord of the Rings to The Hobbit, for example, Lord of the Rings, everything, practical effects, The Hobbit, like everything was CG and you can see the the quality difference and, and all of that, right? And so when it comes to the 80s, they didn't have the technology. They didn't have a choice. They just had to use practical effects. Even in films like Star Wars and all, it was all practical effects. And I think that a lot of current filmmakers have a lot to learn from like that, that crop of filmmakers back in the day because um, a lot of uh, films that use practical effects, even until today, they still seem very real. Of course, like there are some that is just completely cheesy, but the real ones still work. 
You know what I appreciate about the practical effects mm-hmm. is that you hear lots and lots of the next generation after Labyrinth was released right. um, of artists who continue to cite Labyrinth as being really formative to them. And it's not mm-hmm. just because of David Bowie and the, and you know, all, all the rest of it and the <laughs> Demon King stuff, uh, Goblin King stuff. It, it has a lot to do, I think, with the with the power of creation, with the possibility of creation. Because it's one thing to say, hey, I'm going to do a fantastical story, I'm going to set it in a fantastical world, and then another thing to build it with your hands. And mm-hmm. so I think for a child, um, or even for an a craft or artistically inclined adult, when you watch something like a labyrinth, you leave it feeling like, oh, that was such a, a tactile world. Mm-hmm. And, and you leave it feeling like you could do something, which is a nice afterburn. How important is it for you guys that in fantasy films or TV shows that the world building is completely solid, meaning everything looks like it should, you feel like this is a place that exists that you've just wandered into, or does that kind of not really matter as long as the story is kind of nominally in set in this scope? I love the world building element of fantasy like at the end of the day i think what makes a film work or not work is character and the script and and all of that the character's journey but i think like uh, when you enter a world um that is really earnestly built that is full of wonder and discovery like harry potter i think when you talk about world building i think harry potter is like one of the best examples because it's one of those where you enter and literally like as as watching as a kid the first film like you turn left you turn right just like the characters in the film there's always something new something that is so magical something that you know things that you never even would have imagined and i think like that element of it even and, and there's like things that are familiar but also different like for example like we have like fizzy, uh, like get fizzy, uh, fizzy drinks here and, and things like that. Um, our Milo and all. What is it in the Harry Potter world? They have butter beer. Some things like that. I feel really, um, you know, it really impacts my uh, enjoyment of a fantasy film. For me, it is very important. Mm. I, I do want. I do want to feel like I'm somewhere else. Um, Mm. But I will also say that if the budget is limited, then I'm also happy as long as the story and mythology or Mm -hmm. I I go back to this phrase, right? The internal logic of the film is sound. So even if it looks like I'm in an office, um, if you are telling me that this office is the brain of a giant in a fantastical world that we just happen to be situating a scene in, that's fine if that's believable. And so I think it, it, it has to go hand in hand, but one can compensate for the other if need be. I agree. And I think the reason I was asking was because I think I'm a lot more forgiving with this with TV. Um, when I think of something like Once Upon a Time, which I used to deeply enjoy, especially in the first few seasons, I didn't care so much that nobody really talked like they were a real fairy tale character um, or that the clothes that they were wearing were fine, but not great. The place that they were you know, in didn't necessarily feel real because there was a sort of forward motion to the storyline and that carries you through. But I think I'm a lot less forgiving when it's film because you're expected to sit in that world for actually in the case of a lot of fantasy stuff now two and a half hours. Right. And if you don't feel like that's what that door would look like in this world, that's what this person would wear here, you start feeling more and more like this isn't real and then maybe the whole thing falls apart a little bit. Yeah, and I think like even when it comes to effects and all of that, right, like like we like a lot of filmmakers they have like you know as a kid like when they dream of becoming filmmakers many of them might think like okay I want to make a lot of the rings and things like that but I think budget is important when it comes to these things so if you only have let's say you know like 30 million dollars and you can't make a lot of the rings you just cannot and if you try to more often than not you're going to end up with something that is so cheesy and just it looks so cheap that it, regardless of how good your story is, it will be difficult to suspend your disbelief and, and get sucked into that world for me. Can I make a quick local plug and okay. say uh, Ro, mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. which is horror slash dark fantasy. I'll stretch yep. it a bit. Not very high budget didn't do splashy effects, managed to create excellent atmosphere despite that. So you're right. Yes. So I think at the end of the day, it's that, right? It's knowing your budget, like like let's say Shape of Water, where it's... It's 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 it is, it is a small budget film, but it's still a fantasy film. You still buy into the romance and all of that, but it doesn't have like 
10,000 people clashing at one another, you know, in this epic battle scene because you just can't. And I think that's very important, knowing like what you can make within the budget that you have and then make it as well as you can. Well, can I just add on to that, Mm -hmm. that um, Everything Everywhere All at Once, which is coming up by way of both uh, K-Way and Mm -hmm. Urshalia, which cost $25 So there is a there is absolutely a way to do a modern science fiction fantasy, which also does the good place thing of adding in philosophy and all the mm-hmm. rest of it, um, and have it look relatively expensive. I, I think everyone yeah. watching Everything Everywhere definitely felt, especially if you went in um, pre-hype. I think post-hype, it's a little bit different. But if you went in pre-hype, there was that definite sense of being blown away because you're like, good Lord. And then you find out how much it costs and it's even better. Um, But just to add on that Urshalia also mentioned um, Rick and Morty, Lovecraft Country and Castle Rock. Oh, those are all such great shouts. Um, I love Rick and Morty. I I think Rick and Morty as a a TV show kind of dances the line between, it dances the line between uh, fantasy and sci-fi. It's also really funny um, and gives me just like little bite-sized pieces of this I guess it's like that little jolt of worlds that you can travel to literally. Um, and, and I love that it's animation. But I also did want to say that to your point, Lynn, about what makes that work, internal logic is yes. And I think also just clarity of vision. And I know that sounds very atas. But I think what I mean by that is what is the story you're trying to tell? And what needs to happen for that story to work? Uh, so with Everything Everywhere, they're so clear what this, this yes. story is. Um, and sometimes when it falls apart is when all you're trying to do is crib things from different fantasy stories and just plonk it on one film and hope it works. Um, Stargazer on Twitter says, apart from Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones, I love Stardust. Oh, that's a great shout. Um, I love the book more, I will say. But Stardust is actually a great revisit. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed the film as well. And there's something... I, I didn't read the books, but I, I, I didn't read the book, but the film, like, I really enjoyed. And there's like a, there's a certain energy to it that is a little bit different from Lord of the Rings and all of that. It's a very enjoyable film. It is. And, you know, we've been acting as if there is a very clear divide between fantasy for kids and fantasy for adults. But Stardust is a good example of straddling mm-hmm. both. Yes. Oh, I agree. That's mm. a great point. Um, Coraline, I would argue, to a lesser degree. Oh, no. <laughs> not, wait, not for kids? Not, not for kids. Not for kids. Uh, not. It features a kid. So what? (laughs) (laughs) Which is the mistake many parents make. It's why I ended up watching half the things I did. It Chapter 1 has lots of children. Does that mean it's for children, you know? My parents seem to think so. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Yes. These are the kinds of movies I watched as well growing up. (laughs) Um, Tansuni says, um, Narnia, Merlin and The Golden Compass. Oh, um, Narnia, first movie, love. Yes. Uh, Golden Compass, though, I didn't like the movie at all. I did love the TV show. If you haven't watched it, I would check. Uh, I would definitely recommend His Dark Materials was great. Yeah, I was a massive fan of the first Narnia movie. And then everything went downhill from there. But the first one, I think I watched it at, at the perfect age as well, where it's such a... It's, it's one of those things like these kind of fantasy movies, right? Where you don't get from a Lord of the Rings, perhaps. Because Lord of the Rings, it starts off, it's a completely different world from ours. Mm. Whereas there's, some, there's a charm about uh, films like Narnia and even, let's say, something like Percy Jackson. The, the films aren't great, but the idea I'm talking about where you have, like, it's our world and then another world there. The fantasy world just there. And as a kid watching these kind of films, it really made me believe that maybe one of my cupboards at home, you know, one of my wardrobes at home, if I open it, it will lead me to another world. And I think these are like one of the one element of fantasy, which I really, really like. Two separate people are bringing up um, this this title. So uh, both Hafiz Star on Twitter and Rukairi on WhatsApp are saying, the Cave of the Golden Rose, Fantagiro. Um, Rukairi adding on, shout out to both fans of Fantagiro and Tarabas. I oh, I was never a huge fan, but it was so big at a particular time. Everyone I knew was watching Cave of the Golden Rose. Dash does no recognition. Either. Yes. Um, it is, My eyes are empty. Yeah, no, it was a, an <laughs> Italian fantasy show involving a knight and a witch. Yeah. Okay. There's a whole separate conversation happening on our Twitter, by the way, about like, whose side are you on? And I'm like, so fascinated. And I'm always happy when fans are happy to meet other fans and thinking, <laughs> I don't get it. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what this is. Um, keep those thoughts coming. Whether we've heard of it or not, doesn't matter. Um, 
What is your favorite fantasy film or show? You can WhatsApp us 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. And you know, we started off talking about this whole idea of modern world, fantasy. Does magic constitute it? Um, here's a little example of that. It's a bit of Charmed. What? That we're witches? That some freak with powers beyond comprehension is trying to kill us? Even if the cops did come, they'd be no match for Jeremy and we'd be next. I found the answer. It's our only hope. Come on. <laughs> Have you witches figured it out? Nothing. Nothing can keep me away. <laughs> what do we do? We're trapped. Come on, we've got to stay together. Power of three will set us free. The power of three will set us free. The power of three will set us free. I am one of millions. In places you can't even imagine it for, you would never believe. We are hell on this earth. You will never be seen. And you will never be Three. Bringing fresh meaning. BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, it's 8.26, and you're listening to Popcorn Culture with Lynn, Sharmila and Dash. And today we are talking about fantasy and some of our favourite titles, whether film or television, that belong in this genre. And we've been asking you, what are some of yours? Uh, you can WhatsApp us, 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio. Um, Hannah Fariha on Instagram says, Spirited Away, and Darren says, most of the Studio Ghibli films, and that was, of course, a little bit of Princess Mononoke. Princess Mononoke probably ends up on my list of one of my favourite movies of all time. But really, anything Hayao Miyazaki, uh, anything Studio Ghibli, the way they do fantasy is so different, right? The first... I came to Ghibli relatively late, I think in my early 20s maybe. And I think the first thing I watched might have been Howl's Moving Castle. Um, and I just felt like the way Miyazaki does uh, fantasy makes it feel like it's not fantasy at all. And that's kind of what I love about it. You're in this world and suddenly it's it feels as real as the world you're from. Yes, I mean, that is something that Studio Ghibli and Miyazaki does really, really well. Because oftentimes, like, you know, you may just look at it if you're not familiar that oh, how, let's say, adult animes can get and things like that. You just be like, oh, it's some Japanese cartoon and blah, blah, blah. But then you go in and the interesting thing is it can be super whimsical and super, they don't hold back on that. They don't try to make it real in terms of the drawings or the the like the, the, the sort of um, elements that are present in the world and all of that. But then just like uh, Mononoke, Princess Mononoke, it... Before you know it, it becomes like this very powerful story, like completely making you reflect on all your problems in life and world's problems and about kindness and all various types of uh, things. And, and you're just by the end of it, you're an emotional wreck. And like that is my uh, you know experience with any Studio Ghibli films, but Princess Mononoke, definitely. Yeah, I was very blown away by mm -hmm. it, partly because my introduction to, um, to Miyazaki was via Spirited Away, which is ah. very pure fantasy, yes. right? if you think about it and the way in which the story goes and it has all the stuff we're talking about it's a little bit dark it's very whimsical it's kind of got this longing um, and, and sadness like an undercurrent like a river some might say a hint <laughs> if you've watched the movie um, and so I wasn't ready for Mononoke I wasn't ready for the the blood and the fact that 
he it was such an unapologetically Japanese film. So if you don't know anything about forest mythology or Shintoism, or if you don't understand what you're watching, at no point do they stop to say the wolf is actually a representation of you know. Right. Th- there's none of that, and and I really appreciate that because I think that um, part of the confidence of world building is to say, this is the world, you're in it now, and you'll find out about it. You'll find out about it as the movie goes on. And it's interesting to me that Mononoke is um, the beginning of Miyazaki's wider exposure to the rest of the world. Like in Japan, it was it was a record-holding like box office thing for the longest time until Spirited Away, I think. Right. Um, but for a lot of people in other parts of the world, Mononoke was, was their first you know, Ghibli or Miyazaki. I think the other thing with Miyazaki is that um, in contrast to something like Princess Mononoke or even uh, Spirited Away, you have something like Kiki, Kiki's Delivery mm-hmm. Service, mm. or even Totoro, which Ponyo. are like, uh, yeah, yeah, Ponyo, which are sort of smaller, and you use the word whimsical, mm-hmm. that's exactly it. Um, and I do realise that while I love my grand epic fantasies, there is a part of me that genuinely also loves the whimsy of fantasy. Miyazaki is a great example. Um, I think there's so many of these uh, filmmakers that kind of love doing movies that... um, Del Toro does it a little bit, but his veers dark. But I do feel like there is a whole aspect of um, fantasy storytelling that we forget about, that it doesn't have to be this large-scale filmmaking. It can also be smaller stories that have a touch of whimsy. Is it like Narnia without the lion and the witch? Just the wardrobe? Yes. <laughs> and Mr. Tumnus. And Mr. Tumnus, yes, who Mr. is Tumnus. like whimsy personified. Yeah, right? Just uh, a cute little family with some struggles goes through a wardrobe and meets Mr. Tumnus. Like, like that's what you're tea. asking about. Yeah. And goes home. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I, I definitely think so because it... There is like an like fantasy romance, for example, or just fantasy, um, very small, small like um, family dramas, like you know, like Narnia without the witch <laughs> and the lion, <laughs> you know, things like that. I feel that we, uh, you know, we need to like give these films a, a shot as well when we are exploring fantasy films, right? Because a lot of times it is like when people think of fantasy, they are talking about let's watch thousands of people like you know clashing against each other and that is great like that's great and even then when we going back to like studio ghibli stuff even those things right the real epic stuff just from a pure visual experience a sound experience a spectacle spectacle um sort of things i think uh Miyazaki nails it. Like, he really, really does those things well. But then he can immediately switch gears and then just tell a very, very small story uh, with just two, three characters and he's just focusing on their journey. So from a... It it may not seem like fantasy in that sense, but it's like, let's tell a small story set in this fantasy world. Last call for favourite fantasy films or shows. Um, We are going to be going through everybody's recommendations (laughs) and some hot takes, to be frank. Um, But we want to hear from you. Do you have a favourite fantasy film or show that you want to shout out, that you want to recommend? You can WhatsApp us 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio. So lots and lots of stuff still to go through. Um, Skull says, Fantastic Planet. Oh, I've never watched it. Never but isn't that based on an Asimov book? I, you're our resident Asimovian, so I'm not sure. No, that's Fantastic Voyage. So I don't think I've watched Fantastic yeah. Planet. Uh, I, I googled it quickly and it looked really fascinating. So I'm quite excited. I, I, I got a Hodorovsky feel of it, but I'm not sure if I'm getting the right one. Um, M. Thesis says, Spiderwick Chronicles. This is in caps, by the way. I've read the books. I've never watched the movie. I, I'm a little bit of a snob when like movie adaptations of YA comes out. Because if it gets bad reviews, then I generally tend to leave it. Yeah. Percy Jackson burnt me. Oh, yeah. I love the book so <laughs> yes. much. The movies really burnt me. Yeah, Percy Jackson was, oh my God. I, I, it's really one of those, like, you go, walked into the cinema all excited. And then I'm like, what did they do? Like, what did they do? You know, that kind. But Spider-Week, I, like, it wasn't like a great film, like, for me. Like, but I, I enjoyed it. Like, I thought it was pretty good. That's going to be a Percy Jackson TV show. Which um, the author, Rick Roden, is involved in. Oh, that's exciting. Yes. Wendy says, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory by Tim Burton Mm. is so mesmerizingly colourful and catchy. One can't help but bop one's head alongside the Oompa Loompa tunes. But of course, these are all second to Bikini Bottom. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. I never thought of Charlie as fantasy. Oh, I thought you were going to say Spongebob. (laughs) (laughs) 
I never thought of that as fantasy as well. Yes, but SpongeBob, SpongeBob clearly is. is. Yeah, 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 it is. It is. Sponge. It is. Yeah, um, it, it is. is fantasy. It's just that most of us wouldn't situate our fantasy in a fast food joint. Yes. <laughs> you know, like working as a hapless person right. in a fast food joint. Sorry, a hapless sponge. Um, Rice Fishball on uh, Twitter says. Flight of Dragons. A 20th century nerd is transported to the Age of Magic and Dragons. The dragons look like blimps, nothing like the scary beasts of the Tar- Targaryens. Um, also, The Last Unicorn. A unicorn leaves the sanctuary to search for her brethren. Based on the book by Peter S. Beagle, it weaves together themes of loss of innocence, love that cannot be requited, that people are flawed. Have not watched either. Definitely adding it to the list. They sound great. Unicorns, uh, dragons. Okay, come on. I have not watched it, but since dragon was brought up, it just triggered a memory, and I want to like throw this in the hat. It's um, how to train your dragon. Yeah, I think it's a fantastic film. Like, yeah, it's. It, I feel it's a bit kind of underrated as well. Yeah. It is underrated. Yeah. I think it came out at a very sp- uh, particular point in the movie calendar. And that's what resulted in it just kind of getting looked over. That and at a time when animation was sort of dumping out a lot of stuff and so people just didn't take it seriously. Yeah, because it's one of those films where I feel like, I mean, the reviews are good. But I feel like it should have caught caught the the sort of mainstream wave, like like had a, sort of made a bigger splash in the mm. mainstream than it actually did. Uh, Manu Priyan says, "Shadow and Bone." The last episode got me hooked. Thankfully, another season is coming. Oh, if you listen to our review of Shadow and Bone, it was mixed. I will say, I actually enjoyed many things about that show. Didn't particularly enjoy the the, the direction it took. I've never watched Shadow and Bone, but. Like, these, like, recommendations are triggering so many memories, like, so many other thoughts. Like, have you all seen Lock and Key? No, it keeps popping up yeah. on my yeah. should so, watch. So it's, I, I feel like if you're a huge fantasy junkie, like, it's something that you should check out. So I've watched, uh, I've, I've been following it, like, I've, I'm caught up with all the seasons that are out. And it's not like this great, mind-blowing, life-changing sort of experience. But I think people who love fantasy... Like, it's like a great lunchtime sort of watch. Oh, I'm in the market for that. We'll yeah. check out. Uh, Jeff, okay, some some mentions that have already come up. Jeff is saying The Magicians by Sci-Fi, um, a mm. modern twist of Harry Potter. And then we're revisiting the 80s, guys. Uh, Anonymous <laughs> says, uh, Labyrinth, never-ending story, Dark Crystal. Um, Kumar says, never-ending story. And Ken, Ken has entered the chat and said, Labyrinth, my diploma film study subject. Wow, that is a flex, lah. <laughs> I mean, it's a flex and also great choice. Yes. Also, want to send us your thesis? Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm so curious. <laughs> what did you do it on? Was it the effects? Was it the story? Was it about how it's about a fear of aging? Like, you know, I, just, <laughs> I, I have so many questions. Um, Anonymous700 on Twitter says, Avatar. Yes. I, Lynn's not a... So I, I watched Avatar. Avatar is one of those movies that I was very excited to watch. Mm-hmm. Went to the cinema three times and can't remember anything about. I cannot remember anything about this film at all. And like, I, I don't I don't get it. Like, I feel it's... it's Okay, I get why it made so much money. Because it's of the technology and, and how groundbreaking it was. But it's one of those films, like, to me, I see Avatar as the highest grossing, most forgettable film. <laughs> I mean, I like, literally proved that, right? Most forgettable, highest grossing film. Yeah, yeah it's... it's I, I, yeah, but but I am curious to about the, the next one that's I'm coming out. I'm 100% going to yeah, watch it. Yeah, definitely going to watch it. And force Lynn. To watch what? The first. To watch what? Or at least watch this one. <laughs> okay, all right. I, before this, I didn't use... To, I mean, I talked about films all the time, but like not professionally and therefore I could avoid Avatar. I have avoided Avatar for a very long time. Um, I've made my Blue Pocahontas jokes, cheap shots, cheap shots, <laughs> but I've done it nevertheless and I've been very happy but I recognise that that time is coming to an end. Yeah, well, I mean it is the highest grossing. I don't even know if it's fantasy though. I'll just leave it at that. I think it might be sci-fi given by going by the different planet therefore different rules logic. James Gunnison up in here. <laughs> James, <laughs> James Cameron and rapping for some reason. Um, Sayu says The Twilight Zone. Oh, that's a great shout. Might actually be one of my earliest introductions to that format, the anthology, creepy format. Um, I still deeply love Twilight Zone. What about Without the Zone? Just Twilight? <laughs> huh. Huh. I think it's fantasy. It, I mean, yes, vampires and werewolves yeah. clearly are. Mm. But whether it's good or not, that's a different story. <laughs> Twilight is... I think Twilight cannot be judged on conventional quality. Yes. I agree. Yeah, I, I, I think you should judge cinema it. religiously. Every movie. Yes, I watched everything. And honestly, I can still watch it today. 
I enjoyed I, them all. I can, yeah. Yeah, I don't think they're good films, yes. but, but I enjoyed yes. them all. Agreed. Um, mm-hmm. Nikki says, Airbender is a nice movie. Oh. Oh, I think maybe. No way. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not a big enough fan of the anime, but I feel like people will come for you. So I I'm just gonna leave it at that. I love the animated series. Uh. It's like amazing. Like, like the animated series. Really, it's one of those where it's really, really the way it's made. It's targeted towards eight year olds. But then as a 20-year-old, you watch it and you're like, this is the best show ever. That kind of thing. And what M. Night Shyamalan did with the film was a total abomination. So I'm coming for you. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> um, ben Ben says, History Channel's Vikings is the perfect hybrid between factual and fantasy. Unfortunate that it's so underrated. That's interesting. Um, I've heard a lot of good things yes. about oh, Vikings. Definitely. But mm-hmm. I... I I find it interesting to talk about something that's historical and yet crosses the fantasy line. You have a problem. problem yes. I do, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay, I see this coming now. Because yeah. it's like... It's like the I will accept it. I will. You like walked right into that. Okay, we have Wen Shen who says, favourite fantasy flicks? Look East. I love all the Hong Kong Wee Wang Wang fantasy films with flying swordsmen fighting pretty demons. Sorry, I just saw the pretty demons in my head. My wife rolls her eyes when I turn those on but there's no better way to enjoy Sunday afternoons that's cute which actually gets me thinking is something like Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon and in general Wuxia Wuxia I hope I said that right I tried um, is that fantasy is it just because the genre conventions are so western that it doesn't neatly fit um, I think that uh, to to the point that came in from Wen Shen, those that they're referencing are fantasy because yes. um they have fantastical beings. Yes. Um, the yeah. the right. frame of the story is fantastical. I don't think having a magic sword is enough. But what what if you're having a magic sword and jumping on top of walls? I guess, but, but like in the world, yes, it's not they are magic. Just like, yeah, I love yeah, how just super RRR is somehow fantasy and yet Crouching Tiger, <laughs> where they are dancing on treetops, apparently it's not, it's not. It's not even a magic sword. It's just a mythical sword. Like Like it's just historical. You guys are not going to let me win. I see this. <laughs> I just think you're wrong with respect. Um, Anonymous says, The Shannara Chronicles, underrated. I've been wanting to watch that. Um, and I've always been on the fence. Maybe it's time I started. Yeah, I've not checked it out either. Uh, my Sarah says, Dragon Prince, not a film, but a Netflix series. It's such a coincidence that you mentioned Princess Mononoke. Just learned about the film and amazing soundtrack this very morning. Nice. I hope you enjoy it. If Dra- you'd like to get back in touch and tell us. Dragon Prince is actually, I, I really enjoy Dragon Prince. And it has, um, if I'm not mistaken, I think I'm correct here, where the Zuko character from Last Airbender, he plays like one of the, the main, or is he, he's the main character in like Dragon Prince. It's a really, not as good as Last Airbender, but for those who, those people who really enjoyed Last Airbender, like you will, you will enjoy Dragon Prince as well. Um, by the way, we were talking earlier about kind of animations that, either failed or kind of flew under mm-hmm. the radar. Uh, Chris says, Atlantis, The Lost Empire. The animated one, right? I'm, I'm assuming, I'm assuming. Let me look that up. I think so, because uh, we did yes. Treasure Planet and essentially mm-hmm. those are the two failed Disney endeavours. Atlantis is great. I it's agree. Un- it's yep. underrated. It's really good. Mm-hmm. Um, Nikki is asking, how about The Matrix? Is it a fantasy film? Sci-fi. sci-fi Cyberpunk I, sci-fi. I, I, <laughs> um, Nikki, uh, you're not in the studio. They both lean back. <laughs> I think that... Kind yeah, I think that is universally accepted as sci-fi. I don't know, but the thing is, like, it's we are not trying to be snobs about this. So no, clearly, just taking a weird tone. <laughs> Adi says Willow. I've never mm. watched. Um, neither have I. Although now that it's been brought up, I kind of want to. Edwin says, apart from everyone's favorite fantasy movie like Lord of the Rings and Conan the Barbarian, there are some others worth mentioning, such as Krull from 1983, Zoo Warriors from the Magic Mountain, also 83 from Hong Kong, The Beastmaster, that's 82, uh, Records of Lord of War, that's an anime, Dark Crystal, and of course the classic, The Seventh Seal. That's a really great great list. Beastmaster, firstly, great shout. Um, Seventh Seal, I have really funny memories of it because the story of it sounds like it's a classic fantasy, and then it's but then it is made by Ingmar Bergman, and I watched it when I was <laughs> much too young. I think a knight enters into a, a, a chess match. Yes, that's with, right. With mm-hmm. death. Yeah, I was too young, and it completely lost me. I've always wanted to revisit it, though. Hey, while we're talking, sorry, there was a mention of the Matrix, and therefore Keanu Reeves, and right. then death. Um, Bill and Ted is fantasy, right? Ha. <laughs> <laughs> 
you've broken oh, my brain. Yeah. Time yes. travel, actually, fantasy or sci-fi? Sci-fi, yeah. Sci-fi. But then, but then they also meet death. Surely yeah. that enters That's fantasy. That's not where I thought you were going. I was so sure you were going to say Constantine. No, that that's different. <laughs> that's that to me. So just, is Constantine fantasy? That just reads more horror to me. Ah, okay. Yeah, more straight straight horror. But like, I I think I think Bill and Ted. I th- okay lah. We're just falling apart with all the rules. Yeah. <laughs> well, there are no rules. It's fantasy. <laughs> There's nothing left. Yes. <laughs> uh, Josh says hi guys. Just want to shout out to my childhood series. I am number four. Love the novels. The film is pretty great in my opinion. Although some might not have received it as well compared to the books and Hunger Games too. Hey, I didn't know they made a movie of uh, I'm number four. Yes, they there did. is a movie. Ah, and yeah, the yeah. books are really good, so I'm I'm quite I, excited to watch that. I don't share his opinion on the film, but oh. but I don't I didn't read the books, so maybe you know if you're like a hardcore fan and like he seems to be like really really passionate about uh, I'm number four, so I guess then you might find some enjoyment. But I didn't. But I guess you know you should still check it out. <laughs> uh, we have a bunch of really good ones that have come in from Jasper, but before we get there. The promised hot takes, okay? So that there are two opinions that I want us to fight over. Um, all right, <laughs> let's start with this from Daphne Miranda, who says, Rings of Power, vanity project, pretty visual, storyline meh. I had no nostalgic feeling uh, for Lord of the Rings compared to House of the Dragons for GOT. Oh, I know people are coming in so hot for Rings of Power, and yeah, I'm not sure yeah. why. Yeah, you know, I, I'm also not vibing with the negative reviews, I must yes, say. Yes, I'm... A lot of it, like the thing is, I don't want to discredit those who genuinely do not like the, the the series, and I think that's okay. But a lot of it has been just like trolls, like you know, like oh, why are they black elves? Mm. And so I'm gonna give it like zero percent and things like that. That those are like the general like sort of hatred I'm seeing towards it. But I am curious why those who are not disliking it for those reasons, like genuinely dislike it, what they are because I felt it's like so fast two episodes. I'm like quite satisfied with everything I'm seeing. I got chills. I got chills, know? massive chills. I, yeah, I don't... I'm not seeing it. No, I I loved being back in Middle Earth, but I, I've mentioned my reservations. For me, I think it's largely got to do with not enjoying the format. I'm so right. used to Middle Earth and Lord of the Rings being films, three hours to sink into this world. I have a theory about that in relation to Daphne's point, which is maybe people are saying the storyline is meh because... You know, normally for a TV show, two episodes, you don't expect that much, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, You don't expect them to have laid out everything or to Mm. move the characters into the exact positions they're going to be in for the next six seasons. Um, But you expect that of two hours of a film. Yes, Yes. exactly. Yeah, and if you release, as they did, the first two hours back-to-back, then I think people will consume it like a film and leave it feeling like, oh, okay, what is that? You've just asked me a bunch of questions, which at the end you haven't still haven't answered. And then because you still have the hangover from the films, it's it's for me, I'm I'm trying to give it a chance um, because I am genuinely excited by so much and trying not to let the format dictate it too much. Do you think it'll be a better show to, let's say if you haven't watched and you don't have to cover it, like just wait? And then once it's like one season is done, and then you binge the whole thing. Off late, I've not been a fan of binging shows. Okay. So I think I'd still watch it week to week. I'm a binger, but in this case, I'm so excited. Same. That, yeah, I don't know yes. what I'm going to do. Yeah. Um, okay, next hot take. Um, I have, with apologies, Charles censored you slightly. <laughs> there were things that you wrote that I can't read on air. Uh, but Charles <laughs> says, Bridgerton is the worst fantasy British series, most hypocritical and bullcrap, <laughs> depicting the hero as a black man and a lord where during the medieval times uh, they were slaves and they couldn't even be a commoner. And they even put a black queen in the series. The producer is trying to sell to the world how magnanimous the white people were in Britain. Ah, so interesting because... I, I feel like what they're trying to do is rewrite the narrative of who can star in shows, not how magnanimous people were. I don't think, to me at least, I don't think the show is trying to pretend that colonialism and racism and slavery didn't happen. Instead, what it's doing is I'm going to take this trope and this genre and do away with like white people and tell a story with people who didn't get represented. Mm. And I didn't love, I mean, I haven't watched the first season. I really did like second season. I quite enjoyed that. Yeah, I don't... Sh- I, I 
I don't think because watching the series, like I didn't get that sort of like okay, like we are a bunch of white people, um, you know, f- white filmmakers and creators, and we want to like change the whole narrative and show how great we are. It didn't come off that way. It really felt like okay, this is like a fun, you know, over the top like fantasy romance kind of thing. And yeah, I don't think they were thinking so much about that po- politics of it and just trying to say like like I I tend to agree with Sharmila on that in that. Yeah, like we've had like these romantic figures and most of the time when we tell it of this period, it's always white guys. So why not if it's like people of color and, you know, and all that. So I, I don't, I didn't really have that problem. With Bridgerton. I think it's it's an interesting one mm-hmm. um, as blind casting continues to be more of a thing because probably these sorts of conversations will continue to come up because yep. I, I see where you're coming yep, from, Charles, absolutely. you know. I think that we, in our review of it, also discussed how the, the race blind casting on the one hand means it's more comfortable in some ways for a modern viewer to watch because it's not just a sea of Caucasian faces. But of course, you do wonder, did they not care that you yeah, know, a so man is in, falling in love yeah, with an Indian woman? Right. So, and you know, what, is India not a colonised country? Yes. Correct. Yeah. So, so I, I take the point, um, but I, I don't know. Maybe Bridgerton is fantastical enough to sell it. Um, Adi is back to say Doraemon, the cartoon series, which just hard agree. Anytime anyone <laughs> says Doraemon for anything... <laughs> I will agree. Um, And to close off on Jesper. So Jesper is bringing up a number that have already been mentioned. So I'm just going to kind of pick out some highlights. Um, Xanadu, starring the late, great Olivia Newton-John and Gene Kelly. Um, The Care Bears movie and TV series. I know. Um, My Little Pony, which I thought was wonderful as well. Uh, The Smurfs. And then Bewitched, I Dream of Genie, Sabrina the Teenage Witch. We're in a a witchy zone, Wizard of Oz. Um, Lemony Snicket's A Series of Unfortunate Events, which I I enjoyed. Patrick Harris? Uh, I think the movie. Ah, oh, well, yes. okay, to me, none of them are actually fantasy. They're, I love the TV series because nothing unrealistic happens. They're just like cool, creepy, real people. But I, I, I don't know, because like for me, like the Tim Burton, I mean, the I know world that, feels yeah, like, yeah, yeah, what, like every time yeah. like him or people make like his kind of films, it just feels like it's yeah. fantasy. I get it, yeah. I get it. Um, Jasper goes on to say, Golden Compass, uh, Dragonheart, which I'm including just because we, we talked about that recently. Um, Hook, Mirror Mirror, Snow White and the Huntsman, uh, James and the Giant Peach, Geppetto, Pan, uh, Secret of Nim, which again, anytime someone brings up Secret of Nim, I'm going to mention it. Um, Kubo and the Two Strings, The Book of Life. And then, my favourite, the fantasy music video and song from Mariah Carey. <laughs> <laughs> Did not expect that. Yes. Love the mention. <laughs> Love the mention. And on that note, we have been talking today about fantasy on screen, which is where Mariah Carey comes in. Um, but we've primarily been talking about film and TV. Let us know if you have a favourite that you want to recommend that we missed. You can WhatsApp us 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Write to us at movies at bfm.my. Thank you so much for listening. This has been Popcorn Culture, BFM 89. 9.9.